Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at How Stuff Works, and I love all things tech. And in the last episode, I focused on examples of hardware that, while promoted by a company, never actually made it to market, at least not in the form that was promised. So in this episode, I want to take a look at software that did a similar thing. And so we're talking about vaporware, specifically in the form of software, uh, mostly in software. There's some overlap here. So this episode is actually going to go out to all the programmers out there who have dedicated countless hours toward working on something that never emerged. I cannot imagine how frustrating that must be to dedicate hours of your life toward a project only to see that project fizzle. Um, hopefully, those of you out there who have been involved in such a thing, at least I hope you got paid for it. Uh, if not, that's even worse, obviously. But one piece of software that is not on this list anymore is, of course, the infamous Duke Nukem Forever game. For a decade, that title topped numerous vaporware lists, most famously Wired's uh, Hall of Fame for vaporware. It got inducted in 2003, I believe, by Wired, and that was because the editors got tired of including the title in their annual Vaporware Awards feature. They said, listen, we can't just keep putting Duke Nukem on this list, so we're going to put them in the Hall of Fame. 
And then in 2005, the Raiders demanded that they put it back on the list. So they did. So George Boussard, who was a developer for 3D Realms uh, and kind of a, a project leader, he first announced work on Duke Nukem Forever back in 1997. By 1999, Wired was listing the game as vaporware because back then, two years to make a computer game was an unusually lengthy development cycle. Today, it's not that unusual at all. Games take millions of dollars and years to develop for your your big AAA titles. But back then, it was considered to be unusually, like ridiculously long. The game would end up missing ship dates multiple times, largely because 3D Realms wanted the title to be a cutting-edge game that took full advantage of the latest hardware, and hardware kept getting better and better while the game was still in development. So they would change game engines a couple of times, and that meant that a lot of assets they had developed for the game had to be completely scrapped and rebuilt. In other words, every time there was a reason to change things, it set everyone back months or longer. The game did finally come out in 2011, 15 years after the initial announcement, and by then, the game was published under 2K Games and developed by Gearbox Software. So one thing I guess I can say is that there's a possibility, maybe only a slim one, that one or more pieces of software I talk about in this episode could one day come out after all. Just don't hold your breath. Now, another game that is frequently mentioned when the term vaporware comes up is Star Citizen. But to be fair, Star Citizen has been releasing updates to an alpha build of the game regularly. Now, it's true, there is no beta version of this game in place yet, let alone a commercial version. But it's also true that there are at least gameplay elements that backers can can play right now if you backed the project and you have access to it, then you can actually play those gameplay elements. It's just not a fully cohesive game yet. Uh, The story of Star Citizen is such that it leaves many people perplexed once they start hearing details. So here's a quick overview. The game's development began in 2011 with Chris Roberts, who founded a company called Cloud Imperium Games. Roberts had previously worked on some really notable games like Freelancer and Wing Commander, and his goal was to create a massively multiplayer online space simulator. Players can own and operate space vehicles, they can go on missions, they can engage in combat, and they would have this enormous space environment to explore and live in in that game. At least, that's what they'll be able to do once the game is finally finished. In 2012, Star Citizen began to raise funds both on Kickstarter and on its its own site. Uh, Kickstarter's goal was $500,000, but their campaign raised more than $2 million. It was one of the most successful uh, campaigns at that time. And the game has raised funds largely by selling in-game assets to players, such as special ships, including ships that cost hundreds or thousands of dollars. I've Listen to podcasts with hosts who have spent hundreds of dollars on ships for the game. But spending that much money for a virtual game, that blows my mind. But in 2018, the company announced a package called the Legatus Pack. And that includes 117 ships with various add-ons and skins for the game, all for the low, low price of 27,000 real-world dollars. So you'd spend $27,000 for 
for virtual ships in a computer game. What? An earlier completionist pack sold for $15,000. In order to even see the stuff that's included in the pack, you have to be part of an elite group of enthusiasts who have spent at least $1,000, 1000 real-world dollars on this game so far, a game that only exists in alpha mode. And by that, I mean only parts of the game exist in alpha mode. Uh, or, or you could just call up the company and ask about it. They'll tell you more over the phone, so you don't have to spend the thousand dollars to get access to that website. The game has raised more than $186 million since it first started fundraising. And while early goals were to have a full version of the game available in 2014, the company has since backed off on announcing a date when the game will be done. They got burned too many times saying, well, it's going to be out at this time, and then they missed that date. Some people have become pretty cheesed off about this, going so far as to suggest that the company has a game in perpetual development just as a way to coax more money from hopeful supporters. In other words, they don't ever have to deliver a full game. They just have to keep people strung along to keep getting uh, fundraising money from them. But there's no denying that gameplay elements have emerged over time. There are total sections of this game you can play. And other games, like Minecraft, existed as a playable beta for years, to the point where people didn't even care if the game ever emerged as something more than a beta. Still, this is a game that's currently in alpha, not even beta testing, so there's no knowing when or if the full game will be available. Now, I could do a full episode about games that never came out, and maybe someday I will, but for now, let's just go over a few anticipated titles that have, to this date, not made it out of development, and some of them have been canceled. One of those would be Star Wars 1313. That was a game that was supposed to allow the player to control the famous Boba Fett in an action-adventure-style game. The title referred to a level inside the enormous city planet of Coruscant. Uh, Coruscant just looks like a, a huge planet filled with skyscrapers, and you would divide the planet up not just by quadrants, but by level. 1313 was supposed to be a level filled with CD underworld characters. Early video footage was shown off at industry events and looked really impressive, but then the Mouse House purchased Lucasfilm, and along with it, LucasArts, the, the game studio that was developing this game. Disney made the determination to stop all internal development for games at LucasArts, and all the developers got laid off. LucasArts exists now only as an entity to issue licenses to other game developers. And so 1313 was shelved. Disney chose not to renew the trademark license in 2014. Uh, I plan on doing a whole episode or two about Blizzard soon, but one thing I will not be talking about is how their game StarCraft Ghost did once it went on sale because it never did that. It never got out of development. The idea was to create a stealth-based game set in the popular StarCraft universe, and StarCraft is a real-time strategy game, but Ghost would be a different type of gameplay completely, meant for consoles rather than PCs, and it was supposed to come out in 2006, but it wasn't until 2014 that Blizzard officially said, yeah, this one's not coming out. Also in 2014, a mysterious and creepy demo for PlayStation 4 came out, and the demo was for uh, was called PT. PT stood for Playable Teaser. And in this teaser, you would walk down a hallway. 
and you would encounter creepy and disturbing imagery, and then you would discover yourself at the beginning of the hallway over and over again, and the creepy stuff would grow even more disturbing, and it would change each time you went down the hallway. At the conclusion of the trailer and a, was a video teaser for Silent Hills, obviously a game in the Silent Hill horror series. Hideo Kojima, famed video game designer, and Guillermo del Toro, the famous filmmaker, were working on the project with actor Norman Reedus, who was providing voice and performance acting for the game. But that game eventually got canceled. Kojima would leave the company, or he was fired or something. That's never been totally clear. And then Kojima went on to develop the as-yet-unreleased game Death Stranding, also starring Reedus. Uh, So what is Death Stranding about? Beats me. I watched about 10 minutes of footage from E3 2018, and I still have no idea what that game is all about. Other games that fall into this category include Titan, which was another Blizzard title that never made it out of development. Uh, There were a trilogy of games that were called Insane. That was also supposed to have Guillermo del Toro's involvement. Those never came out. Uh, Also, a game called Agent, which is an espionage game that was supposed to come out from Rockstar Games. It was announced way back in 2009, but as of yet has not come out. But there have been reports from as recently as 2017 that some variation of that game is still in development. So maybe we will one day see Agent see the light of day. Next, we're going to turn our focus from video games to other types of software. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. 
and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, in the world of software, there's an old example of vaporware that still gets referenced today. The example dates all the way back to 1983, and that's when a company called Ovation Technologies announced a suite of productivity software that it said would leave all competitors in the dust. The company claimed its Ovation suite included features like spreadsheets, word processing, data management, communication tools, all of them integrated together. So it was going to be a powerful tool for businesses, far exceeding the capabilities of competing software that was just starting to get a foothold in the market at that time. Ovation produced a demo of its product in order to show off what it could do at various trade shows. The demo was a video. And here's the thing. The video was filled with false claims because there was no actual product to show off. The video was just completely manufactured. It wasn't supposedly showing off a concept. It was supposed to be showing off a working build of the software. The truth was the company had nothing to show yet. The demo was created in an effort to convince potential investors to pour money into the company. Presumably, that money would then be used to actually make the software that the company was claimed to have built. But Ovation wasn't able to stay above the waves of bankruptcy, and eventually they ran out of money before they could ever produce anything real. So it, it instead became an infamous example of vaporware and smoke and mirrors, some people going so far as to say it was essentially a, a hoax or scam. Others are a little more charitable, and they said, well, they didn't intend for it to be a scam. They were just trying to raise the money to build the thing they wanted to build. And instead of saying it like that, they said, hey, we have this thing. We've built it already. Invest in us and you'll make your money back. And that was uh, dishonest. When I did episodes about the Macintosh, I talked about how Apple as a company was struggling in the 1990s before Steve Jobs returned to Apple. You know, he co-founded the company, but he was then pushed aside and uh, John Scully essentially took over. And Jobs found himself leaving the company or being fired from the company. It all depends upon whose uh, account you believe. And then he went to start a new company called Next. Meanwhile, back at Apple, developers were hard at work trying to create the next generation of the Mac operating system. The preceding generation was called System 7, and that launched back in 1991. 
It worked well, but it still depended upon old architecture that by design limited what users could do. And the reason for these limitations was in order to streamline processes. So in other words, the stuff the operating system could do, it could do really, really well. But largely, it could do that stuff really well because the developers were ignoring all the stuff the operating system could not do. And one of those things was true multitasking. You could kind of sort of multitask with System 7 Mac OS, but it was doing it in a way that wasn't terribly efficient and wasn't true multitasking. Also, an error could cause the system to crash. And if you were running multiple programs at once, a bug in any of those programs could cause the entire computer to crash as a result. So instead of compartmentalizing each of these instances so that if there's a problem, only that one program crashes, it would affect the entire system. And so the more programs you were running, the more likely you would run into that and have to do a full system reboot and lose all your work. So it was not a great scene. Now, a proposed successor to System 7 was a project codenamed Copeland. It took a very different approach to architecture to allow for better control over multiple programs, among other things. So why was it called Copeland? Well, it was named after the composer. The codename for System 7.5 had been Mozart. There was a third planned iteration that was codenamed Gershwin, and Copeland stuck right in between them. They were supposed to be transitional to move the operating system away from the old architecture of System 7 and set the ground for a new architecture that would support future generations of OS builds. Apple announced that Copeland was in development back in 1995. By 1996, Gil Emilio, who had recently become the CEO of Apple, talked a lot about the various features that Copeland would have. At that point, they had renamed it. They were calling it System 8 representing an entirely new generation of operating systems. Demonstrations of the operating system did not go well. Uh, they, they, people could see promises of what the operating system might be able to do, but you couldn't even do things like enter in text in the early demos of System 8, and that represented a big problem, obviously. Demonstrations uh, did not help the case. The development team was fractured. You had different groups working on specific features, but seemingly no guiding hand to bring all of those features together into a cohesive operating system. So you had people working very uh, intensely on just a very narrow group of features with no thought of how it was going to integrate with the overall system. And there was a lot of feature creep coming in too, more and more features that were being added to this operating system, growing the project, making it harder to complete. And in August 1996, Apple finally pulled the plug. By the end of 1996, Apple would announce that Steve Jobs would be joining the company in an advisory capacity because Apple was acquiring Next, Steve Jobs' new company, in an effort to get their operating system development moving again. Essentially, they were saying, well, we couldn't develop the operating system in-house. Let's go buy Steve's company next and bring those assets over and make that into the new Mac operating system. Jobs would eventually convince the board of directors to give the boot to Gil Emilio, and Jobs would take over first as interim CEO and later as the official CEO of Apple. Back in 1998, 
Music companies were in a tizzy because digital music formats had made it incredibly easy to share music on a global scale. Peer-to-peer sharing networks and pirate sites were undermining the business model the music industry had been reliant upon for decades. And if you want to talk about disruptive technologies, the development of digital music file formats would be way up there. And so a group of companies, not just in the music industry, got together to try and create a solution to this perceived problem. And the idea was to create technology that would allow music companies to sell digital forms of music and rest assured that only the people who coughed up the dough could listen to the stuff. A tech that would foil the attempts of dirty, nasty pirates out there who would steal money right from their pockets. Sort of. All right, let's put aside for the moment the fact that you cannot prove someone who pirates a piece of media would otherwise have paid for that media because that would negate your argument that they're stealing money from you, right? Uh, Now, you might think this sounds a lot like the group, which was called the Secure Digital Music Initiative, or SDMI, that they were trying to come up with a DRM strategy. And you would be right. Digital rights management was exactly what they were looking at. That was what they were trying to do. They wanted to create a means to imprint a digital watermark on a file. So a piece of code that could be attached to a music file to prove that it came from a legitimate source. Uh, The watermark would be designed in such a way so that it would be really hard to remove without it also causing some sort of damage to the music file, like decreasing the quality of the audio itself. So if you tried to remove it, then the sound wouldn't be as good on your music file and you would ruin the thing you were trying to you're trying to uh, crack. And there was a second arm to the strategy. They were going to partner with manufacturers to produce devices that could play back SDMI files, but only if there was proof that the user was authorized to play those files. So let's say it's a computer. The computer would have to have a proof that the owner had a license to play that music. And then it would say, all right, well, the license matches up with the SDMI watermark. Everything's good. Uh, the watermark is a, is a real watermark. It's clearly from the company. So we will allow this file to play. On September 6, 2000, the group issued an open challenge to anyone to try and remove the digital watermark from some examples of music files without ruining those music files and to do so within three weeks. A group led by Princeton computer science professor Ed Felton claimed to do just that, though SDMI initially protested, saying that the judging software, which, by the way, they themselves had provided, could not take into account the sound quality of the music file. Felton planned to give a talk about his group's methodology, and SDMI, along with some other parties, threatened to sue Felton and his group. They said, This is going to be a violation of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the DMCA. But the Department of Justice was disinclined to acquiesce to the demands of SDMI in pirate speak. So in other words, they said, go ahead, dog, publish your work, Felton. You got it. We got your back. SDMI effectively disbanded in 2001, although, according to the then director, it was not because the watermarks could be removed. Rather, he said the technology was not capable of being unnoticeable by golden ears, meaning that he was saying that the process of putting the digital watermark on the music files was by itself affecting the sound quality slightly. And if you were really, really good at listening, you'd be able to detect it. And that's why it never worked. It wasn't that someone had cracked the system and they were able to remove the watermark. It was just that it never worked in the first place. 
I don't know if those are sour grapes or not. But uh, anyway, you could say the whole SDMI file uh, form was, was vaporware. I have more to say about vaporware in the next section, but first, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, this next example is part software, part hardware. 
Back in 2012, Justin Timberlake took a break from Bringing Sexy back to take the stage at CES in Las Vegas. He was there to announce a partnership with Panasonic to bring a service called MySpace TV to the new Viera HDTV television sets. The idea being that it would be an over-the-top service. So you would plug your Viera TV in, you would have it connected to your network, and then you could tap into this MySpace TV service. And the service would start off with the library of music videos that MySpace already had at its disposal, which was around 100,000 or so, and also MySpace's library of songs, which was around 42 million songs. And then it was supposed to grow to, quote, encompass movies, news, sports, and reality channels with a growing lineup of today's most popular broadcast and on-demand content, end quote, according to a press release issued by the two companies. Timberlake himself talked about the social aspect of the service, which would let people share what they were watching in real time, so you could create a sort of online viewing party experience. But the service, as talked about, never materialized. Uh, Just a note here, MySpace did create a service called MySpace TV, but that was way back in 2007, five years before this CES presentation. And back then, that was a video site meant to compete with YouTube. So it was meant to allow MySpace users to upload user-generated content to the video site. So that was different from what Panasonic and MySpace were talking about in 2012. Also, MySpace had been declining in popularity steadily since 2008. So this was kind of a big surprise to see MySpace teaming up with Panasonic in the first place because MySpace had lost a lot of street cred by then. News Corp, which had bought MySpace in 2005 for $580 million, had sold the company in 2011 for much less, perhaps as low as $35 million. That's an enormous loss. And Rupert Murdoch, the owner of News Corp, would call the purchase of MySpace one of the biggest mistakes News Corp ever made. A company called Specific Media became the new owner of MySpace. And then eventually uh, they were also a, a... company that belonged to a larger company called Viant Technologies. Time Incorporated bought Viant in 2016. So Viant was the parent company not only of MySpace and specific media, but also of other companies like Vindico and Shumo. Now, I've talked a lot about different examples of vaporware in these two episodes, so I thought it would be useful to kind of talk about why vaporware exists in the first place or or why it, it doesn't exist. You know what I mean. Why do companies announce products that are not yet ready for market and may never reach full development? Well, there are several potential reasons. First, there's the possibility that the company has every intent to actually release the product as they are promoting it, but internal or external problems right at the end are derailing the project and pushing back the release date. That happens a lot both in software and in hardware. So you scope out your project, right? You define what you want to deliver. You define the process you're going to take in order to make the product that you've designed. You identify what you think are going to be the challenging sticking points. You create strategies to overcome those challenges and you move forward. And then something you did not anticipate happens because it always does. That's that's how the real world works. And that throws you off. So then you adjust And you try to move forward as best you can, trying to keep your vision intact. But then you find out that whatever the solution was to that unexpected problem that popped up, 
that solution has now broken something else. Like one of your features now no longer works. Or maybe your lead developer gets hired away by a competitor. Or maybe your company is acquired by another company. Or maybe your money is just running out. There are plenty of cases where vaporware is an unfortunate byproduct of unpredictable challenges during a project cycle. It has nothing to do with any nefarious plans. But then there are more underhanded, shady practices There's the possibility of an outright cash grab. This is your old snake oil salesman methodology where you promise someone the moon and stars and you have no intention to deliver upon this promise, but those scams are pretty difficult to pull off well without serious consequences further down the road. Like how do you raise a huge amount of money trying to sell a complete scam and then still expect to get away because eventually people get mad if they find out they've been hoodwinked. And governments exist in part to protect people from such things. So it's not the kind of grift that you want to run for very long because you're going to get comeuppance. So you're likely going to get dinged by a lawsuit or three, and that's really going to put a crimp on your day. But another tactic is to announce a product that's well ahead of schedule Maybe the general public doesn't know it's well ahead of schedule, but you might suspect that it's going to be a few years before this product is ready to market, but you announce it in order to take the wind out of the sails of a competitor. There's an example of this, or at least an example of, of a company that's been accused of doing this. Way back in 1964, IBM announced it would introduce a series of mainframe computers under the name System 360. But those computers wouldn't actually become available for purchase for a few years. So IBM announced it prematurely. However, the announcement prompted a lot of would-be customers to wait on this promised System 360 machine to come out, rather than purchase a system from one of IBM's competitors, like the Controlled Data Corporation, or CDC. CDC brought an antitrust lawsuit against IBM in 1968. The United States eventually took up this antitrust lawsuit against the company. And this particular part of the lawsuit said that IBM knew its systems were years from market, but that they decided to advertise these upcoming machines as being comparable to CDC's existing products on the market at that moment in an effort to undercut their competitor. So they said this is anti-competitive. It is against the principles of a free market. The antitrust lawsuit, which grew substantially with a lot of other parties becoming involved, would stretch on until 1982, until the Justice Department finally dismissed the case. So that was a pretty expensive strategy, marketing strategy. Employing lawyers in an active lawsuit that lasts longer than a decade gets pretty pricey. And sometimes a company will announce a product that hasn't even gone into production, just as a way to gauge demand. Now, you could argue that a lot of the projects on platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo fall into this category. The people running those campaigns are usually selling the idea of a thing. Very often, they don't have a working prototype. Sometimes they do, which is fantastic. But often they just say, I have this great idea, but in order for me to make this thing, I'm going to need money. So they're looking to get investment into an idea to presumably bring that idea to fruition. Or you could point at about half the stuff that ThinkGeek has thrown up on its April Fool's page every year. If you've ever visited the ThinkGeek site on April Fool's Day, you're likely to see at least one or two products that 
while they are fake, seem like they'd be pretty awesome to have in real life. And ThinkGeek has actually made some of those fake products real products as a result. And a lot of people have said ThinkGeek is actually using the jokes page to kind of measure the response of ThinkGeek customers. And if the response is really positive, they'll go ahead and bring it to market. Otherwise, they'll just say, well, we're not going to make back the expense of making this thing, so we won't bother with that. Uh, so you could argue that those items were, in reality, vaporware in an effort to judge how much people might actually want one of those things. But it's still clear that many of the items in ThinkGeek's April Fool's pages are just jokes. They were never intended to become actual products. So it's not like every single one of them falls in that category. I plan on doing follow-up episodes in this vein to talk more about some of the games that never emerged. So I might might do another episode about greatest video games that never existed. Uh, I've done one of those before, but it was years and years ago. So maybe I can do an, an update uh, sometime in the future, not next. The next one, I think I may dedicate an episode specifically to crowdfunded projects that either were incredible successes, terrible failures, or they successfully funded, but the item never emerged. Whatever the the goal of the project was never came to fruition. I think that it's valuable to look into that as well. So that's probably going to be my next episode. But if you guys have suggestions for future episodes, whether it's a technology, a company, a person in tech, whatever it may be, send me an email. The address for the show is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.